Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Second and third John is what you're going to read this week, and you've got it made because I'm going to read half of it for you today. Shortest book in the New Testament, third John. And you're going to say, wait a minute, second John has 13 verses, third John has 14 verses. But actually, in the Greek manuscripts, third John is shorter uh, than second John. It is the shortest book in the New Testament. Only Interesting about 2nd and 3rd John, they're not really written to um, confrontations or, you know, great campaigns or books to write, things of that nature. It's interesting that they're personal letters written by John. We're not sure exactly to what churches they were written. One of them is a personal letter, 3rd John is written to Gaius, who is the pastor of a church, but we're not sure which one. But basically, they talk about it's the little things we do that are important also. You know, a lot of these other letters that have been written are combating certain doctrines and things of that nature. And yet, Second and Third John talk about the, the, the small things, the, to being faithful in everyday life, to be faithful in our church, to be faithful in the way that we live. And, and so you may think, well, there's really nothing in here for me, but yes, there is. One of the key words in 3 John, actually 2 John talks about don't let false doctrine come in to the church. Just don't, you gotta be on guard. But then 3 John talks about, he mentions some church members, mentions three of them. And he uses the word witness or testimony or report uh, to talk about these. It's a record, It, it means that It's not only the words that we say, but it's the life that we live that shows up even in the church. Three guys were mentioned. Two of them are good examples. One of them's a bad example. I want to read the entire book of 3 John. The elder, and that, by the way, is John, the elder, To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that. He does himself, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. 
He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. When you were a child, who did you pattern your life after? Now, in my day, and and people who have hair color of the color of mine, it might have been Roy Rogers, or you can probably go back further than that. It might have been the Lone Ranger, or John Wayne, or Superman. Who do you pattern your life after? And then we get old enough, we realize that those guys aren't real. They're real people, but they don't portray real people. If you were to pattern your life after somebody in the church, who would it be? What if somebody acted just like you? And let's put it this way. What kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? You ever thought of that? It takes all kinds of people, but what if everybody was just like you? In my office, I have some old pictorial directories. We used to make pictures of all the families, and and then we would put them in a directory, and by the time they got printed and given to us, they were already obsolete because we had so many new people. But it's interesting when you go back, and I can go back and look at some of those pictures, and and many of you look a lot younger then. (laughs) But, you know, I know that some of them are in heaven. Some of them are with the Lord. Some of them, I don't know where they are. I hope they're in heaven. Some of them, we don't have a clue where they are because they disappeared. Not that they're dead, but they just disappeared. It's interesting that when you look through the pictorial directory, you see all kinds of people, but everybody looks good on paper. But then when you get to know them, they're not all the same. Well, John writes about three guys, and I want to call them by name because because he calls them by name. First of all, you find commendable and selfless Gaius. Now the word elder in verse one, the elder. Interesting word. It, It speaks of John. John was the pastor of Ephesus for many years before he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos in which God gave him the revelation that is written down, the book of Revelation, God's vision But John was an elder, a bishop, a pastor. There are several words in the New Testament that are interchangeable. For example, pastor means one who feeds the flock or the shepherd actually actually guides the flock and, and protects them and watches over them. Bishop means overseer or administrator. And then the word elder many times means maturity of those who are older in the faith. I mean, it doesn't have anything necessarily to do with their age, but their maturity in the faith. So John the elder, and a lot of those words, I believe, are synonymous. Now, some denominations use them different ways, but really and truly, I think it's all functional of the pastor. He then calls Gaius the beloved several times in verse one and then in verse five, Calls him the beloved. It means that that he 
loves him so much that when he thinks about him, it brings joy to his heart. He could very well have been one of John's converts because verse four says, I love it when my children walk in truth. And he's been talking about Gaius, but Gaius is one of those members that when John thinks about him, it brings joy to his heart. And you know, every pastor has that privilege. There are members, when you call their names, immediately you think, man, they are so faithful. They're so godly. They're so supportive. They're so willing. They're so helpful. Gaius was one of those kind of people. Now, what made him that way? Well, there's a couple of characteristics here I want to call your attention to. First of all, you'll notice his godliness. In verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Did you hear what he said? Isn't it interesting? He says, you're so strong in your walk with the Lord. Your soul is prospering. You're growing in Christ. I pray that your health is as good as your spirituality. That's interesting, isn't it? Some Christians, if that were true, would be in a state of spiritual invalidism. They're never well. They don't know anything about the abundant life. They endure. They exist, but they don't enjoy living in fellowship with the Lord from day to day. What if that happened? What if God all of a sudden just said, now your health, your outward man, your health is going to be just about, is going to be equivalent to your spiritual health. Would we need a stretcher to carry you out of here? Would you have to be escorted out because you could barely walk? Hopefully not. Hopefully that your soul is prospering. If our physical appearance reflected our spiritual state, what would you look like? He's talking about the importance of maintaining your inner life. There's so much emphasis today on outward living. I've never in my life seen so many commercials about health equipment. And about the time you think, well, I'm going to buy that. I, you know, so I bought my stuff and put it in my house. It didn't help me a bit. <laughs> Hang clothes on it, put stuff on it. Doesn't help. You're supposed to use it, I guess. So much emphasis today on physical fitness. Let me ask you something. Do you Work on your physical fitness more than your spiritual fitness. Because that's what really matters. I hate to tell you this, but you're going to keep having birthdays and it's not going to get prettier. There's only so much you can do. But your spiritual life is eternal. The inward man's being renewed day by day. Let me tell you something else about this verse. There's a whole school of teaching now going around called health and wealth. And basically, it says if you can somehow unlock these mysterious keys in Scripture and you somehow unlock these principles, you're, not all, you're going to have physical health all the time and you're going to have a lot of physical wealth. And they use this verse as one of their verses. May you prosper in your health and wealth as your soul prospers. The problem with that is that it's not in keeping with the rest of Scripture. Some people don't ever get well. Ask Timothy one day. Timothy was a man with many infirmities. Paul never healed him, yet Timothy was used 
by God to pastor churches. Paul, I wouldn't say Paul was wealthy, would you? A tent maker, itinerant evangelist. So don't say to somebody, well, you know, if you just get right with Jesus, you're going to be healthy and wealthy and prosperity is a sign of God's blessing on your life. Really? What about all these leaders in Congress that are multimillionaires? Have they been blessed by God when they don't acknowledge God? Some of them do. You, You get the point. That's not what he's saying. He's saying your inner man is growing in the Lord and he's prospering. I pray that your health will be as strong as your inner life. Why was he that strong? I'll tell you why. Look at verse three and four. It says he was walking in truth. The truth is in you and you're walking in truth. And then he says in verse four, I have no greater joy than my children walk in truth. We're told today there is no absolute truth. Don't you believe it? We're told today that there's no absolutes about marriage. And yet, what does God say? It's between a man and a woman. We're told there's no absolutes about gender. And yet, what does God say? God says there's male and female. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just telling you there is absolute truth whether you believe it or not. And, and he's walking in truth. He's not only, the truth is not only in him, but he's walking in truth. And, and folks, in this day and age, when we are being bombarded with all kinds of lies from the pit of hell, we need to be the people that live and walk in truth. May it be said about us. He believed God's word She believed God's word. It was not only in them, but they lived it. None of us are perfect. We won't be perfect until we're taken home to heaven one day. But we're striving to live the truth. You'll also notice his generosity in verse five. You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Let me give you the background here. In those days when people were going around and preaching in different churches and different places and spreading the gospel, you had itinerant evangelists, you had teachers going out. And when they would come into towns, there weren't hotels. Some of them had inns, but a lot of those inns were places of immorality and a lot of them were so dirty and infected with fleas and varmints and of all descriptions, the Christians would open their homes and let them stay with them. They were hospitable and Gaius was one of those guys. He welcomed them in to stay with them. It also says in verse eight, you'll notice, we therefore ought to receive such. That word receive means to foot the bill, to underwrite it. Some of you in here probably down in your heart thought years ago that you might be a missionary, that you might be a pastor or a teacher or a preacher or an evangelist or something in God's vocational work. And yet it didn't happen. And yet, through your prayer and through your financial support, you have been just as much a part of their ministry. Those of you who are giving to these church planters, You can't go plant a church, but you are receiving them because they are going out in verse seven. It says they're going forth in his name. 
Not taking anything from the Gentiles, not going out there trying to take it from lost people to survive. He said, no, you have received them. You have helped foot the bill and you are sharing in their ministry. And God bless you for doing that. Gaius was one of those people. So he's commendable. He's selfless. But then meet cantankerous and selfish Diotrephes in verse 9. Who is this guy? We don't know for sure. By the way, we're not real sure which Gaius that is because there's several mentioned in the New Testament. We're not real sure which one it is. But we know that he was loved by John and that he was standing for the Lord And we don't know who this Diotrephes is. And most of the time when you find this name in the secular Greek, it's by somebody who was born in the aristocracy and the nobility, the wealthy ones. He could very well have been a man who was quite upper class. And yet he he claimed that he came to know the Lord. He seems to be the kind of man, though, who liked to be in the spotlight. A couple of things John says about him. He says, first of all, he was demanding in verse 9. He loves the preeminence. <laughs> Along the way, there are folks that sometimes get in places of leadership and they begin to feel their authority. They begin to let people know that they run the church. Let me tell you something. I've met Diotrephes before. Not necessarily here at Southcrest, but I've met him in other churches, some of these small churches. I I promise you, Diotrephes' tribe is well and alive and well. They want to run things. They want the preeminence. We run this church. I actually had a man tell me in another church, preacher, if it wasn't for me, this church would close its doors. Really? Who'd the church belong to? I'll tell you who it belongs to. Colossians 1.18 says, and Christ is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. I want to tell you something. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the one who's supposed to have the spotlight in the church. He is the preeminence. He is the head of the church. He owns this place. He owns you. He has saved you. Don't ever get to the place where you say, well, if it wasn't for me, that church would fold up. Jesus is number one. He gets the preeminence. But, you know, it's just amazing how many people are not willing to work behind the scenes or give God the credit or give God the glory. He not only was demanding, he was disparaging. He was critical. Verse 10 says that he was guilty of prating. I will call to mind his deeds, prating against us with malicious words. That's an interesting word, prating. The root word means to bubble up. You ever seen a bubble in water? What is that? Think about it. What is a bubble in water? It's nothing surrounded by water. There's nothing in there. So prating means to blabber. I remember my mother telling me I was a blabbermouth at one time. (laughs) He just leads with his mouth. Trust me, diatrophies, diatrophies can be male or female. I've met them both. 
kind of reminds me of a farmer who came to town and he asked a restaurant owner, would you like to start serving frog legs? He said, well, yeah, where am I going to get them? He said, I can provide a million of them. Really? Yeah, I'll be back in a week and you can put them on the menu. Farmer came back in a week and he had this foolish look on his face and he's holding two frogs. He said, the farmer said, I guess I was wrong. There were only two frogs in the pond. They sure were making a lot of noise. That's diatrophies. Next time you hear a lot of noise about how bad things are at the church, just remember, it may just be a couple of chronic complaining frogs. Means he overflowed with words. Usually they were malicious or evil words. He talked too much, tried to build up his own reputation by belittling others. And folks, listen, we don't talk about one another, we talk to one another. If you got something you need to talk to, go talk to them. Don't put them on social media, don't do the chicken thing and text them, talk to them. You're cowards, cowardly. Social media has raised more cowards and more unbiblical confrontations, the scripture says you go to them, talk to them. He was also divisive. Look at verse 10. Nor does he receive the brethren. In other words, these traveling preachers would come through and Diotrephes wouldn't receive them. He was so insecure, he couldn't stand the ministry of another person coming in and getting any credit. Can you imagine? And not only that, If somebody else wanted to receive them, he said no, and he wanted to kick them out of the church. He's a hateful cuss. That's what he is. Can you imagine turning somebody out of the church? I had a friend of mine tell me this one time. When someone comes to church for the very first time, they're asking two questions. They're looking around and they're asking, is anyone like me in this church? In other words, do I fit in the way I'm dressed, the way I am, the way I think? Is anyone like me? And the number two question is, does anyone like me in this church? That ought to characterize our church. You know, it thrills my heart when I hear people outside our congregation say, well, I visited your church for, with my grandmother or something, and they came for a various thing. I said, you have such a friendly church. And my first thought is, thank the Lord they sat by somebody who was nice. <laughs> that ought to be every one of us. Let me tell you something. Everybody that comes in here is just as insecure as you are. They wonder, does anybody notice me? Instead of coming in and saying, here I am, you ought to come in with the attitude, there you are. Be friendly. You got to work at it. Listen, we're not naturally friendly. We're not naturally outgoing. We're naturally kind of quiet, keep to ourselves. When you come in here, There are other people who are wondering, does anybody like me in here? Am I right? Three of you agree. (laughs) Jesus said, by this will all men know you're my disciples by your love for one another. There's a third church member mentioned. He's a good example. His name is Demetrius. Consistent and solid 
Demetrius, and it's not the same guy that caused Paul trouble in Ephesus. We're not real sure who he is. It's interesting, he's got a pagan name. He's named after a pagan god. So the chances are he came out of paganism and came to know Jesus. But I want you to notice what verse 12 says about him. Demetrius has a good testimony from all. In other words, he's reputable. His name means something. The testimony that he had was not only in the church, but out in the community. And the perfect tense indicates that it's been going on a long period of time and will continue to go on. It's not just a a passing thing. It's a testimony that's favorable to speak well of, approvingly of. It means that he was gracious to people. It means that he had a, a personality that people spoke highly of him. We ought to be the same way. Warren Wiersbe tells about one of those pious church members who went to visit the sixth grade department to speak in a Sunday school class. And this church member said, why do you think people call me a Christian? There was an embarrassing silence. And finally, a little voice from the back of the room said, because they don't know you? (laughs) Well, if they get to know you, you ought to have a reputable testimony. You bear the name of Jesus first and foremost. You also bear the name of the church family you're a part of. He also was resolved. Verse 2, excuse me, verse 12 says, you have a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. In other words, you live out the truth. He lived it out. Do you live out the truth? Do you actually study God's word and, and, or read it? Let me, let me give you five quick rules for Bible study. First of all, look it up. What does God say about whatever it is you're facing? Look it up. Write it down. Pray it in. Lord, help me to live this way. Live it out. And pass it on. Let me say it again. Look it up, write it down, pray it in, live it out, pass it on. When you live out the truth, there will be some that will disagree with you, but it means that you're going to be loving and kind and gracious to people, that your testimony matters. You need to live your life like everyone's watching you. I'm reminded of that every week. I don't go anywhere anymore. It's your fault. I don't go anywhere that somebody doesn't say, I've seen you on television. They never ask for my autograph, but they say, I've seen you on television. I'm just kidding. It reminds me, Lord, please, have I said anything? Have I acted in any way that would be unbecoming of not only you, but the church? People watching you, whether you like it or not. The last thing he was recommended, verse 12, says, John even says, and we also bear witness and testify that you know, and you know that our testimony is true. John was commended, 
did commend him as a godly, Christ-honored, spirit-filled man. What kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? If you should find the perfect church without one fault or smear, for goodness sake, don't join the church. You'd spoil the atmosphere. (laughs) If you should find the perfect church where all anxieties cease, then pass by it, lest joining it you mar the masterpiece. If you should find the perfect church, then don't you ever dare to tread upon such holy ground. You'd be a misfit there. But since no perfect church exists made of imperfect men, then let's quit looking for that church and love the church we're in. Yes, let's keep working in our church until the resurrection, and then we will each join that church without and imperfection. When you get people together, there's going to be issues at times. We have to bestow grace upon one another. But pattern your life after those who live out the truth and who are striving. None of us in here think we're better than anyone else. I don't. I don't think anyone else does. I don't think anybody in here would say, well, I am so much better than you. We're just sinners saved by grace. But don't ever try to step in the place of God's glory. Don't ever seek to say, you know what? I'm so important in this church that if I weren't here, it wouldn't make it. We ought to have the attitude, Lord, I want to help your church and anything I can do, I want to help it. And and I want you to know this church is full of people who love the Lord and who are willing and who step up and and y'all do stuff and it, it thrills my heart. We've outlasted most of the diatrophies in this church. People say, how did you stay 30 years at Southcrest? I said, I outlasted all my enemies. (laughs) They finally gave up and left. I don't even know of one they did. I'm, I'm sure there were a few that I didn't know about, but folks, to be a member of Christ's church, what does it take? You have to be born again. You have to know Jesus as your Savior. You you come to God in repentance and asking him to forgive you. You believe that Jesus died for your sin. He was sinless, so he could die for your sin. He rose again the third day, seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't place your faith in the church. The church can't save you. I'm telling you, the the church can't save you. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. We're the body. He is the perfect one. We're the forgiven. And you love and you follow him. And then you follow him in baptism. Baptism isn't an option. 
It doesn't save you. The thief on the cross went to be with the Lord after he died. He didn't get to be baptized. But he's the exception. The fact is that when people followed Christ, they were baptized, immersed. It does not mean to sprinkle. It means to immerse. There's no way around it to put under. And and in those days when people were baptized, they were baptized in the open. Lakes and streams. You'd be like you out here on the loop being baptized in the Playa Lake. And when people saw somebody being baptized, they immediately identified them as one of those Christians, one of those Christians. It's the first act of obedience. It is the public profession of your faith. And so when you follow Jesus, I want people to know, these people that are being baptized today, there's several more in the next service. They're professing to you, I've committed my life to Jesus. They're not being saved at the moment they're put under the water right there. They've already been saved. And now they're following Jesus. And a church is nothing more than a body of baptized believers. That's what a church is. Maybe God wants you to be a part of this local church. We're part of the universal church that around the world of all the believers in Jesus Christ, but we're a local body of believers right here in Lubbock, Texas. And if God is telling you, you need to be part of this fellowship, you need to get somewhere and get plugged in. If your name is Diotrephes, please don't join our church today. (laughs) Unless you have revival in your heart. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I am so thankful for the many wonderful members of this congregation like Gaius and Demetrius. And Lord, we even love the folks that have a tendency to be like diatrophies. And and to be truth be known, Lord, all of us have a little diatrophies in us. Help us keep that at bay. Help us keep that in check by your spirit that you would lead and guide us in all that we do. Most of all, we pray for those who aren't a part of the church because they've never committed their lives to you. We pray that they would turn from their sin coming to you for salvation today. I pray, Lord, if you keep sending folks here, you help us to love them and minister to them. And I pray that you would bring people to South Crest. Most of all, I pray for people who need to be saved and then those who need to be baptized. So during this moment, would you speak to the hearts of people and bring them to you? In Jesus' name. Would you quietly stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Just a few minutes and we're going to leave. But first, the Holy Spirit may be telling some of you, you know what? You need to give your life to Christ. Or maybe you need to be a part of South Christ. Or maybe you need to be baptized. Or maybe there's something else on your heart that the Holy Spirit's revealing that you just need somebody to pray with you about. Would you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed so people will feel comfortable walking down here and talking to one of these pastors? That tug at your heart is the Holy Spirit telling you, you need to come. 
If you're watching us online, if you'll click that connect button, somebody will help you right now. Is there anyone today? And maybe you just need to ask the Lord, Lord, help me to be more like Gaius and more like Demetrius and help me to live out the truth and to be generous and hospitable and kind and gracious and loving and but you kind of take the diatrophies out of me, Lord. I don't want that. The invitation is never closed here, ever. And the reason is, it's not ours to close. It belongs to the Lord. You can indicate a decision by taking that communication card and dropping it in the box as you leave. We will call you on telephone first. Give us your number, we'll call you. You can text the phrase living hope to the number that you see on the screen, 474747. Same information, fill it out, send it to us, we will call you. We're not going to embarrass you, we're not going to crowd you, we're, we're not going to show up unannounced, we're going to call you and talk to you and then if you would like to visit with us, we're more than happy to do it. I don't know how to make it any easier. These pastors will be here at the front for a few moments, you can come talk with one of them and, and they'll be glad to talk with you. A couple of quick things, trunk or treat, is this afternoon from 5 until 6.30. Last week, I asked you to help. We had 15 cars signed up. We've got close to 80 today. That's the kind of folks I like right there. Thank you. And let me make something perfectly clear. We are not celebrating Halloween. We're going out there as an alternative to it. Yeah, we're going to hand out candy. These kids are going to go get candy regardless. We're also going to put in their hands the gospel. And we've already praying that some family will come to know Jesus as a result of coming to own our parking lot. We're not at, that's why we don't want any scary costumes. We're not trying to do any stuff like that. We're an alternative to it. So please don't insinuate that we're celebrating Halloween because we're not. Heavens, we, we lift up Jesus every week. Do you really think we'd celebrate Halloween? <laughs> not to, Operation Christmas Child boxes are out there. If we, if we run out, we've got some more ordered. They're on the way. Bring them in here two weeks from today, November 14th. We're going to pray over them, send them around the world. Men, we've got a cool night plan a week from Thursday. A long shot is what it's called. We have a man coming to speak to us who can shoot over a mile, mile and a half. We're going to eat. I know that'll bring you. And here's your choice. You get a regular hamburger or a buffalo burger or an elk burger. And so it's going to be a night for men. It's going to be here at 6 o'clock a week from Thursday, get some tickets. You can go online and get them. Or if you can't, Danny said he would help you get them. So see this man right here about them if you don't want to go online and register. 
Ladies, the holiday celebration is this Saturday. I'm assuming that you have a ticket to do that. And next Sunday, we're gonna quit messing with Mother Nature and get back to the normal time. You, you gain an hour. You gain an hour next Sunday. So if you don't set your clock, you're gonna come to the eight o'clock service. <laughs> Just a reminder, if you're our guest, I'd like to meet you. I'll be in the hospitality room, out the door, turn right, come down to the room with all the glass. It says hospitality, have something I'd like to give you. If you're our guest, I haven't met you, please come by, I'd love to meet you. Or a new member, if you're a new member and I haven't met you, please come by, I'd love to meet you. Thank you for being here today. What kind of church would my church be if every member were just like me? Brother Jim. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.